CMD studio today, Dr. James Simons. James is an Australian-trained urologist and urological surgeon with special interest in robotic surgery and prostate cancer diagnosis and treatment. James is based in Sydney and he consults at Darlinghurst, Deniston, Wagga and Griffiths and operates from St Vincent's Private, Sydney Adventist, Marta and Double Bay Hospitals in Sydney. Our topic today is hematuria or blood in the urine. We do hope you enjoy this podcast, but please remember that the advice here is of a general nature and is not intended as specific advice about a given patient. If you have a patient on whom you require specific advice, then please seek that advice from a colleague with appropriate expertise. James, thanks for speaking with us today on PodMD. Thank you. Lovely to be here. One of the reasons a patient may come to a urologist is blood in the urine, and obviously the patient can find this quite a distressing or confronting situation. James, how do you counsel these patients when they come to see you with this problem? Patients are, are coming for a, a whole number of reasons. Uh, one of the things that I, I need to work out as a clinician is uh, what uh, type of blood it is that you can have in the urine. Uh, when we're describing hematuria, we break it down into uh, macroscopic hematuria, which is macro, i.e. big. That's significant enough that you can actually see it. So patients who can see blood in the urine we classify that as macroscopic hematuria, whereas uh, for patients who have uh, blood in the urine that they can't actually see, so we're talking about uh, things that their GP detects, that's going to be microscopic hematuria. And microscopic hematuria is a very different uh, kettle of fish to the macroscopic hematuria. Uh, however, they both do classify as a, a blood in urine, and both of them end up getting referred through to urologists often. Um, now, you're asking about the, the significance of it and how I counsel patients. I really look at what it is they're coming through with. Are they coming through with macroscopic hematuria or microscopic? So the uh, macroscopic hematuria, as a urologist, we need to be much more aware of, particularly if it's painless macroscopic hematuria, because patients like this have a 1 in 20, so essentially 5%, uh, risk of having a urothelial malignancy uh, discovered in their workup. So it really is a, quite a significant risk factor if one in 20 of these patients are going to have an underlying cancer somewhere. Whereas for those who have a microscopic hematuria, the risk of having an underlying malignancy is significantly lower, about an order of magnitude lower, 3% or so, uh, after they've had their investigations. So when I see the patients, look, I, in general, I reassure everybody that the odds, even if it's macroscopic hematuria, are in their favour that we're not going to find a clinically significant cancer or even any cancer, but uh, because of this uh, background risk, I can't just sweep it under the rug. We really need to investigate for what's what. So just to recap on those different types of hematuria? Well, the macroscopic hematuria, as I said, is uh, blood uh, that you can actually uh, see in the urine, and that can range from a light pink discoloration through to yeah, really grossly contaminated blood uh, with uh, or urine where it looks like more blood than uh, urine uh, and potentially passage of clots. Uh, there's a term that gets bandied about quite liberally, which is frank hematuria. And this is something that's a, a bit of a personal pet uh, peeve of mine um, because the term frank really is just used so loosely that it loses any meaning. Um, in general, I think uh, we really should be using the term macroscopic hematuria and some institutions even have a urine colour card, uh, and I certainly carry one on my lanyard, 
And I find this a very useful way that between staff we can discuss the colour of patients' uh, urine without uh, needing to resort to descriptive terms that are, re are really quite subjective between individuals and thus lose their meaning and clinical significance. Is there a difference in risk for patients with macroscopic hematuria uh, versus the situation when it can only be detected on dipstick or under the microscope? So urine on a dipstick, which is often the reason for the microscopic hematuria that a GP will refer to. I mean, really, the dipstick uh, microscopic hematuria is going to be a, a screening tool. It's not diagnostic. And you always need to back up your positive dipstick, which is really a, 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 a test that is there to have a, a low false negative rate, but it can have high false positives. It's there to uh, pick up the, the, this trace background amount of urine or, or blood in the urine. And what we're really using as a diagnostic term for uh, microscopic hematuria is greater than three red cells per high-powered field when the patients have formal microscopy. And so the, the dipstick in and of itself is not diagnostic, and that's a, a common misconception uh, that uh, just because the patients have a positive dip that they have microhematuria when really they don't. It always needs to have a formal uh, urine culture and microscopy sent off. Uh, so that we can tr truly ascertain what's what around the place. The patient will obviously be concerned about a serious diagnosis such as cancer. What is your workup for this problem? Uh, look, I, I do as a first line before going into any formal investigations, we, we really need to take a, a, a thorough clinical history. And part of that is to exclude active infection. So I'll take a history from the patient to work out if they've had any sort of infective features going through. Has this been hematuria that's resolved with antibiotics? Was it painful? Have they had uh, high-risk behaviour in the lead-up to things or a history of urinary tract infection that might predispose to infection? Um, and then they get a urine culture. And hopefully the GP's done that urine culture. It certainly uh, saves uh, time on my part and thus uh, delay in patient diagnosis. But ultimately, you need to make sure that, that there is a sterility to the urine. And uh, if they have a... Uh, positive uh, urine culture, you can treat it and then reassess after that to see is this an ongoing hematuria despite a clearance of any bugs around the place. Is there any imaging that you might do? After I've uh, done that basic sort of urine analysis, there really there's three things that we need to do. We, we collect some urine for cytology, uh, which is where you go looking for abnormal cells once it's been down in the centrifuge. I get patients to collect that over three days. They don't all have to be successive. They also then get uh, upper tract imaging, and depending upon patient age and uh, risk factors, they'll either get a CT urogram, uh, otherwise sometimes referred to as a CT IVP, um, and alternatively they can get a renal tract ultrasound. And then uh, they need to have uh, investigation of the lower urinary tract with direct visual inspection, and they get this by way of a cystoscopy. And this can be done either as a flexible cystoscopy if they're perceived to be low risk or a general anaesthetic rigid cystoscopy. If there are findings on the, uh, the cytology that warrant biopsy, you think there's going to be a high probability that you need to take a tissue sample. What are the factors that might increase the risk for a patient to develop bladder cancer? Well, the, the single uh, biggest risk factor in Australia is going to be uh, tobacco use, uh, cigarette smoking, uh, or cigarette smokers having a roughly tenfold increased risk over the general population that takes a long time to drop back down to baseline after they stop smoking. So 
really in the patients I see who have uh, bladder cancer, it's almost predominantly patients who have uh, previously smoked. Um, the other uh, things then that they can't really alter uh, age and the, the longer you live, the higher the likelihood of developing bladder tumour and gender with men being more likely than women. Uh, the other things are then going to be potential exposure to industrial toxins along with uh, drugs. Uh, so patients who have uh, worked uh, with aniline dyes uh, or had arsenic exposure, um, chemicals used in the textile uh, rubber and print industries are often there, along with those uh, aromatic aramines, uh, also aromatic amines um, uh, from the dry cleaning industry. Um, the other thing to be aware of are those patients who have uh, previously been uh, uh, on immunosuppressant medications, such as uh, cyclophosphamide in particular, um, and these patients uh, where the cyclophosphamide gets filtered by the kidneys and then stays in the bladder overnight, uh, that toxin can uh, then irritate the urothelium to the lining of the bladder. And they have a much higher risk of developing uh, bladder cancer as well, which is really quite unfortunate for them. Uh, and then rarely you'll see a few people who've uh, had things like schistosomiasis, which they've uh, picked up whilst living in endemic areas uh, such as uh, uh, Egypt or uh, Southeast Asia. Are there any other patient groups that do need specific screening? Yeah, look, there, there are. Those are the patients who have uh, chronic bladder problems. So patients who have bladder stones from chronic bladder outlet obstruction, these patients uh, can have uh, direct mechanical irritation of the bladder and they're going to have a much higher risk of developing squamous cell carcinoma of the bladder. Similarly, the, the, the long-term catheterised patients, and this is going to potentially be the institutionalised people with suprapubic or indwelling catheters, where again the uh, mechanical friction of the catheter balloon going on for many years, very routine that you'll see blood in the urine and often that can get swept under the rug as uh, or really dismissed, I should say. So often that can get dismissed as uh, being a, an expected thing to have with a catheter. The problem is for patients who've been having catheters like this for 10 plus years, but really if they've not seen a urologist should be investigated, uh, even if it's just going to be with a flexible cystoscopy to make sure that they don't have a, a large tumour sitting within. Well, James, that's been really informative. Thank you for your time. In summary, what are the key take-home messages for our listeners today? My key take-home messages uh, as a clinician are that uh, hematuria is never normal and it really does need explanation. But often we're not going to find a, a sinister cause, but given the, the potential uh, harms of missing a bladder cancer diagnosis, we really need to, to get that diagnosis early and investigate the patients. The investigations that we'll be doing tend to be uh, urine culture to exclude infection, urinary cytology to help risk stratify and uh, help with the detection of high-grade malignancy, and then imaging of the urinary tract either with a, a contrast CT or a renal tract ultrasound, and then direct visual inspection with the cystoscopy, which can be done in a number of different modalities. Uh, and then lastly, the investigations uh, that uh, really the GP can do prior to coming to see a urologist, I'd suggest that uh, very useful to get a urine culture in the cytology for a lot of the patients coming through and additionally, counselling the patients uh, of yours that smoke, because really, from my point of view, if we can get rid of bladder cancer, that's going to be very helpful. And the best way to do that is going to be to stop these people from smoking in the first place. James, thanks again for speaking with us today on PodMD. It's a pleasure, Sean. Lovely to be here.